The bloody war between Israel and Hamas rattling nerves across the globe, with one island really feeling the heat. We've been actively monitoring the Chinese military using various forms of intelligence. Talk with Iran to prevent a wider war, and Israeli envoys plead to China, putting the regime's stance on the Hamas war to the test. Tensions take the sky in Taiwan, Chinese fighter jets soaring above the strait as a warning to nearby U.S. warplanes. And a rare trip overseas by the Russian president, but where is he going? A look at Beijing's Belt and Road Summit and why India might be absent. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As the war between Israel and Hamas rages on, Taiwan is on high alert. The island's defense minister noting one major lesson from the conflict. Intelligence work is really important because only by having intelligence can we respond in advance and prevent a war with China. Hamas, one of the terrorist groups that controls Palestine, launched a surprise attack on Israel Saturday. The death toll on both sides has blown past 1,000. And it's sparking discussions about why Israeli intelligence failed to detect the attack beforehand. Back to Taiwan, Defense Minister Chiu noted the island has set up a task force to monitor the situation. Taiwan is currently under the shadow of a potential Chinese invasion. Beijing sees Taiwan as part of China, despite the island never having been under the Chinese regime's rule. Meanwhile, Taiwan is critical for America's safety. It sits on a chain of islands that prevents China from launching submarine-based nuclear attacks against the U.S. The island also makes over 90 percent of the world's most advanced microchips, used in America's fighter jets, missiles and other defense systems. The Chinese regime has been building airfields and stationing fighters and drones on its coastline. That's just 100 miles from Taiwan. The island's annual defense report says Beijing is looking to gain superior air power over Taiwan. We've been actively monitoring the Chinese military using various forms of intelligence. Taiwan has been boosting its defense capabilities, though former Australian Prime Minister says the island should take that even further, citing Israel as an example. Taiwan's future is uniquely central to global peace and security, and we all understand that that future is under constant threat. Israel's annual defense budget makes up over 4% of its GDP, while Taiwan's budget next year is over 2% of its GDP. Amid the ongoing bloodshed in Israel, an urgent plea to Beijing from Israel's ambassador to China on Thursday. Talk with Iran and stop the escalation. How is China responding? Let's take a look. Without naming the attackers, China on Thursday condemned the killing of civilians in the Hamas war. And that's Beijing's first public contact with Israel since it came under attack by the terrorist group last week. Just hours before, the Israeli ambassador to China called on Beijing to negotiate with Iran to end the conflict. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan condemned Iran's, quote, deep, dark role in funding Hamas on Tuesday. They have provided training, they have provided capabilities, they have provided support, and they have had engagement and contact with Hamas over years and years. The same day, the Chinese foreign ministry announced new civilian casualties in the attacks. Three Chinese nationals have been confirmed dead in the conflict. 
with two others missing and several injured. That's as China's silence about Hamas attacks on Israel raises concerns about its role in Middle East politics. Beijing has expressed its support for the establishment of a Palestinian state. When Israel asked China to officially denounce the attacks, Beijing refused. Palestinian officials thanked the Chinese regime for its long-term support of Palestine and said Palestine trusts the Chinese Communist Party. China's silence is because China wants to show that they are a friend of the Muslim people, even though they're committing uh, genocide in Xinjiang. Out of 49 Muslim-majority countries globally, 30 are part of Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. China analyst Antonio Graceffel says nearly all of them remain silent on Beijing's genocide in Xinjiang. He adds China's position on the Hamas war is likely to be part of a long-term play. They're building points, they're building uh, cachet with the other Arab states, saying, look how, how we support you. So they're hoping to get all those guys onto China's side, and then that would leave just the United States and Israel on the other side. Beyond that, Saudi Arabia, plus countries in Africa and Latin America, all appear sympathetic to the Palestinian side. Gaining favor in these regions may offer China an opportunity, becoming an alternative partner for those countries instead of the U.S. On the other side, China's attitude toward Israel could come at a high price. Microchips are among the most popular Israeli exports to China. That trade is crucial for China as it grapples with American export curbs, which aim to cut off Beijing's access to cutting-edge technology. A warning from Beijing. The Chinese military sent fighter jets toward the Taiwan Strait Thursday as a U.S. Navy patrol plane flew over the water. The U.S. Navy said the flight aimed to demonstrate its commitment in a free and open Indo-Pacific and that it's capable of anti-submarine missions. The move angered Beijing, and the Chinese military allegedly sent out its own fighters to monitor the U.S. Navy. It also rebuked the flight as, quote, public hype. Congressman Michael Waltz told NTD's Capitol Report host Steve Lance that... I think we need to move to clarity not only for our allies, but uh, for our adversaries and also for the American people. Uh, our leadership needs to begin explaining why uh, Taiwan is so important and what the world will look like uh, if China is in a position to control 50 percent of, of global GDP. Back to the Taiwan Strait, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said conflict in the disputed waterway would be devastating. The strait plays a critical role in global trade, maritime transportation, and global security. Both the U.S. and Taiwan acknowledge it as part of international waters. Beijing disputes that claim and considers it Chinese territory. Out with the old, in with the new, at least for Beijing. That's as a new contender for China's defense minister steps onto the field. General Liu Jinli heads the Chinese military's Joint Staff Department. It's tasked with directing Beijing's planning and combat operations. If he does take up the post, he'll succeed current defense minister Li Shanfu. The official has been at the center of recent speculation. Reports say he's been out of the public eye for more than six weeks. With no explanation from Beijing, he's believed to be under internal investigation and could become the second Chinese defense minister to be removed since July. Worth noting, Washington sanctioned Li in 2018 over a weapons deal with Moscow. According to Reuters, sources say Beijing will likely announce the change by the end of this month, ahead of a multination security meeting. 
A wolf in sheep's clothing. China has secured another term in the United Nations Human Rights Council, though it secured the lowest number of votes in the Asia-Pacific group. Here's more. The UN General Assembly on Tuesday elected 15 new members to its human rights body. China, Japan, Kuwait and Indonesia were contesting for the four open slots for the Asia region. Despite concerns of human rights violations, China was re-elected for the sixth time with 154 out of 192 votes. Cuba was also elected to the body. Member nations that are truly defending human rights are becoming a rarity. Most of them are using the council as a platform to defend themselves so that their human rights record will not be criticized, condemned or sanctioned. Last week, New York-based NGO Human Rights Watch urged the UN to deny membership to authoritarian regimes such as China and Cuba. The organization cited last year's report by the United Nations, suggesting China committed crimes against humanity by detaining Uyghur minorities in the Xinjiang region. Aside from China and Cuba, Russia's bid to the council was denied due to its invasion of Ukraine last year. Sam Wang, NTD News. Known as a debt trapped in the West, China's Belt and Road Initiative is set to host its 10th forum next week. In addition to close allies Russia and Iran, developing countries in Latin America and Africa will also attend. Indian press source The Hindu says New Delhi is likely to skip the summit. If that happens, it would mark the third year of India's absence from the event. Ahead of the opening, China's foreign ministry called the Belt and Road a win-win. The project has more than 150 countries, plus 30 international bodies on board. That said, some of those nations seem to regret signing on. Italy is one of them. The country's current administration has been looking to opt out of the scheme. Italy is the only G7 nation to have signed on to the initiative. First of all, China was able to increase their exports to Italy, and this is the main reason why the country is leaving. Aside from the geopolitical issues, is that Italy has absolutely not seen any economic benefit from joining the BRI. And for uh, China, it was a huge win. You know, it was a it was a an inroad into Europe. China's exports to Italy have increased 51 percent, where Italy has only hit half that number. China's foreign direct investment has also dropped to one twentieth of its share from before Italy joined the Belt and Road. In other regions, Beijing has granted large loans to developing countries through the initiative. But since then, many have been unable to repay their Chinese debt. In exchange, Beijing takes control of the infrastructure and strategic assets instead. One of them, Sri Lanka, now leases a major deep water port to Beijing on a 99-year contract. That's after it failed to pay off its $7 billion debt to China. More on Sri Lanka's debt troubles. The country has struck a deal with a state-owned Chinese bank looking to tackle $4.2 billion of its outstanding loan. Sri Lanka is facing a major financial crisis. While news of the help from the Export-Import Bank of China came as a surprise, this deal will help Sri Lanka get past the first review of an international monetary fund program. According to Sri Lanka's finance ministry, it's an important step toward getting a second tranche, about $334 million from the IMF. That's a security that can be split into smaller pieces and sold off to investors. China is the largest bilateral creditor for Sri Lanka. In the coming weeks, the two sides will work on formalizing the terms of the debt treatment. 
An update on the violent car crash at the Chinese consulate earlier this week. San Francisco officials identified the driver Thursday. He was shot and killed by police after ramming a vehicle into the consulate's visa office. Here's what we know so far. 31-year-old San Francisco man Jan Yuan Yang has been identified as the driver who crashed a car into the Chinese consulate on Monday. Yang was shot and killed by San Francisco police after crashing a car into the visa office. San Francisco's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner told AP News in an email Thursday that they have no additional information to disclose. A witness told reporters he was yelling about the Chinese Communist Party as he exited the car, bleeding from his head. Police have not disclosed how the shooting unfolded or how many officers fired. There were no reports of any other injuries. The incident drew condemnation from the White House and Chinese government. Coming up, rounds of Israeli airstrikes raining down on the Gaza Strip. As crossfire continues between Israel and the Iran-backed terrorist group Hamas, Jerusalem is sending out a request to China. Talk with Iran and stop the escalation. Beijing was quick to issue a statement regarding the conflict, but made no mention of Hamas. What role is China playing in the conflict? And will the regime try to broker a peace deal like it did with Iran and Saudi Arabia? To discuss, we sat down with Dennis Wilder, professor of Asian studies at Georgetown University. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As violence continues to unfold in the Middle East, world leaders are voicing their support for Israel. China, on the other hand, is once again playing neutral. What is the regime's role in the war? And is China planning to draft another peace deal for the region? We spoke with Dennis Wilder, professor of Asian studies at Georgetown University, for more. Dennis Wilder, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Following the brutal surprise attack by Hamas on Israel over the weekend, many world leaders are coming out with statements. Most in support of Israel, some, however, are backing the Hamas terror group. Now, China hasn't really said much. They're remaining neutral in a way. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was pushing back while on the visit to China, saying China needs to come out with a much stronger statement. Chinese mm-hmm. leader Xi Jinping has not yet said anything. What do you make of his silence? Well, you know, the the Chinese have had a long historical position. In fact, uh, Chairman Mao uh, believed in the revolution surrounding the Palestinian cause. So they actually trained Palestinian liberation organization soldiers uh, in the early periods. Uh, The Chinese have sort of stuck with that position. Um, a support for Palestine. But as we saw in Ukraine, when they try and take that middle road, they actually do damage to their foreign policy. And to your point, political is coming out saying that China sees opportunity in this little latest Middle East crisis. What is that opportunity for China? Well, I would assume the Chinese at some point will claim that they could be mediators in the middle of this situation. Again, I see a problem with that because Hamas is not really the Palestinian state. It is simply a terrorist group. And so I think any Chinese attempt at mediation is probably going to be fruitless. 
And I, if I were the Israelis, I would not be particularly interested in China trying to negotiate for me with Hamas. We did see earlier this year that peace deal brokered by Beijing between Iran and Saudi Arabia. But zooming in on this case, what is the difference here in terms of Israel and Hamas? Well, the real difference, frankly, was that the Saudis were very eager to try and find a way for a deal with the Iranians. The Saudis and the Iranians went to Beijing. Uh, they dealt with each other on neutral territory. But the real impetus for the Saudis. In this case, unless the Chinese are really willing to step up and be a true mediator, just offering their good offices in a situation like this, where the Israelis, in my view, have every right to want to destroy Hamas because it's a terrorist organization like Al-Qaeda or ISIS, I don't see how negotiations can begin before Hamas is defeated. And zooming out, it seems whether we see a peace deal or some type of mediation from Beijing in terms of Israel and Hamas, China's influence in the Middle East has been growing. What does that mean for the U.S. especially? Yeah, I'm afraid that the United States, after the 20-year war in Afghanistan and the situation in Iraq, has somewhat lost interest in the Middle East. Um, and what I am seeing, and I've been out to the Middle East and seen this for myself, is the Chinese filling a vacuum here. And China, because of its economic power, um, its trading power, is becoming closer to places like the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and others in the Gulf and other areas of the Middle East. So I'm afraid we are losing ground and China is gaining leverage in that area. And now, zooming in on U.S.-China relations, it seems there's a potential meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping in November on the sidelines of the APEC summit. Where do you see that fitting into the U.S.-China relations? Is it going to change it dramatically? Is it going to stay the same? I think the word you have to use for that meeting, the hope of that meeting, is stabilization. It is not improvement in the relationship. Frankly, the differences are too deep, the value systems are too different, and I don't think either side has expectations that this will be a vast improvement. And in terms of a potential invasion, it seems one of the best tactics would be to ensure we don't have a war. So how do we ensure we don't get to that point? Very simply, we need a defense strategy in East Asia that is not just the United States and Taiwan against China. One of the things that has been done recently, and it seems to be effective, is we're bringing the Japanese in, the South Koreans, the Australians, the Philippines, even some NATO countries, so that China, when it looks at trying to coerce Taiwan or even invade Taiwan, has to think about the fact that there is going to be an international coalition. Dennis Walder, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.